This is One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 54 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am very pleased to be speaking with Dr. Noor Syed. Um, before you say hello, Dr. Syed, I will just list your titles and then we're going to get into all of them. Uh, currently, you are an Assistant Professor of Applied Behavior Analysis at SUNY Empire State College. You are the clinical coordinator there. You are also the founding director for the Center for Autism Inclusivity. Dr. Noor Syed, thank you for being on the show and good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've uh, honestly heard many, many good things about you, wonderful things about you and your work and your background. Um, and so I'm looking forward this morning to having you share uh, some more information about who you are, all of that background, but also what has brought you to this point in your career. Um, and then as a little teaser, we're also going to get into the, the collaboration that's going to be happening between Anderson Center for Autism and SUNY Empire State College in which you play a pivotal role. So um, we're going to try to cover all that this morning. And let's start, if you wouldn't mind, with just could you tell us about you and your background, wherever you'd like to start, but certainly including where your interest in, in applied behavior analysis and autism kind of got sparked. Absolutely. And I really do appreciate your kind words. Um, that, that that means a lot. And Anderson Center for Autism means a lot to me as well. So I feel very lucky to be here chatting with you about the Empire and about the partnership that we will be embarking upon. So uh, my background in the field is that as an undergraduate with SUNY Binghamton, so it's really kind of nice, it's sort of full circle that I'm coming back to the SUNY system. Oh, cool. I, it is, yes. I didn't really know what I had wanted to do. I knew I loved children. Um, I've always known that. But it wasn't until I was sort of pointed to the direction of the Institute for Child Development under Dr. Raymond Romanchik, which is an institute for children um, with autism and other developmental disabilities located in SUNY Binghamton, that I sort of found that this is what I wanted to do. Um, it was that kind of proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and it really just hit me when I was working with um, a young learner who was quite tall and um, he engaged in aggressive behaviors. And um, the learner was someone that I think a lot of the staff and therapists, including myself, were a little bit nervous to work with because he was, you know, very tall and, and did have behaviors that we were certainly working on. Um, but it was just a bit of a nerve-wracking experience as a young intern in the field. And there was a moment in which um, I had asked him to find a color. And I said, you know, can you show me red? And he looked down and scanned the fields, as we say, looked at all the different exemplars and found it and then looked at me with a huge smile on his face. And when I said, yeah, you did, you know, he burst out laughing. And that was really kind of the moment where I thought, wow, there's this incredible strategy that we can utilize to help um, someone learn uh, because, you know, I really believe heavily in that quote that if a student isn't learning the way we teach, then we want to teach the way they, they learn. And so I really felt like that had hit home and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so to that, 
my um, graduate experience was at Teachers College, Columbia University, where I worked with Dr. Douglas Greer in applied behavior analysis. Um, I became a teacher, and so I'm certified in New York State. general and special education birth through grade six. And throughout my time in graduate school, I taught through applied behavior analysis. So I was an early intervention teacher, a preschool teacher, elementary age teacher, and I was also an intern at a middle school. And I was just really fortunate to have had the experience from there to go into administration with the Hawthorne Foundation, where Dr. Tina Cummington um, had previously been the CEO. Mm -hmm. Tina and I went to the same graduate program, and we just have a lot of the same, um, you know, values and the things that we really feel are important in behavior analysis above and beyond the behavior analytic principles, and so hopefully we'll touch upon that a little today. Um, but through all of that, just have the experience to, to be in the trenches, which I think is incredibly important as, um, you know, to be teaching, be hands-on, and that had led me to a position as an assistant professor of special education with Manhattanville College, which led me to um, a fantastic opportunity to um, open a clinic for children with autism through Lehigh University um, and at the same time set up a practicum course, so practicum coursework for individuals who are interested in sitting for the behavior analyst certification board exam, Mm -hmm. um, the BACB exam. So I was able to do that concurrently. And I thought, this is really amazing, and I love this experience, and wouldn't it be wonderful to do it on a grander scale? And through um, that, through actually Anderson Center for Autism, I was introduced to SUNY Empire, and I ended up creating the syllabi for a master's program that we're hoping, we're planning to this month submit for approval with the um, goal to enroll students in fall of 2021. Um, And so that all brought me to this opportunity um, to work with you at Anderson Center for Autism and to work with SUNY Empire in creating this program in the center. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, your background is fantastic, and um, and I really appreciate how you brought us through kind of step-by-step, step, um, especially that first story about the, the moment where you had that success and saw the, the change in that young learner. Um, you know, I grew up with educators as parents, and I you and I have some things in common, too. I worked in early intervention as a service coordinator. Um, I was a teacher for a long time as well, went to Columbia. So, um, and then also, you know, met Dr. Covington through uh, through Anderson when she became our chief operating officer, and and find her uh, wonderful to work with. So, um, so I think um, you know I can relate to to at least some of what you're talking about, but certainly that moment of realizing as a teacher that you can adapt and really should adapt to teach the way a student learns best. Um, as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of the one-size-fits-all. I always love hearing that because I'm a firm believer that um, so much of the way we, we successfully now work with and intervene and, and educate children on the spectrum also works for just about every learner at any age because when you, when you can be flexible in a classroom setting or an instructional setting, you allow that learner the best chances of success. So I just wanted to, to thank you for saying that. Um, more we can more we can put that out there, the better in my opinion um, so where do I want to go um, <laughs> what um, why don't you do, since you referenced this and we don't haven't talked about ABA mm-hmm. specifically on this show in a long time why don't you go over some of the um, get kind of an overview of what applied behavior analysis is and why you think developing these courses and these programs, especially a master's level uh, program to 
I guess, um, increase the number of board-certified behavioral analysts is so important right now. Yes, definitely. And I really appreciate you sharing your background with me and learning a little bit about your history. It's really nice to have, to hear, you know, other people talk about how important it is um, to be able to adapt and to be flexible. And I think that growing up with a background with parents and education, you really do see that. So it's nice. And it's also so nice to know that there are so many professionals at Anderson Center for Autism that have that mindset, which I think is, is really critical um, to developing behavior analysts and, and teaching behavior analysts to be compassionate and really cognizant of flexibility and adaptation. So with applied behavior analysis, I'm going to give you sort of my take on it and do, you know, just stop me or, or ask me any questions because I think, not that it's different, but I think that it's really important to kind of put out there um, that I, I really believe strongly in the values and principles of humility and compassion in our work in behavior analysis. So applied behavior analysis at its core is this, um, this science that seeks to investigate how we can uh, shape what we call socially significant behaviors, but essentially what is important for the person whose behavior will be changing or whose behavior or who is choosing to, cho- to change their own behavior. Um, what is socially significant to them? What's important in the culture? Um, in which they live, and how can we utilize behavioral principles like positive reinforcement. So research has suggested to us that um, if something happens after a behavior occurs that is preferred by the person who's engaging the behavior, then the person's more likely to do it again in the future. So it's like that idea I was thinking about, um, why do I snooze my alarm? Generally, anywhere between one and five times in the morning, depending <laughs> on the day of the week, um, it's because I get to sleep for a few more minutes. So it's the behavior of snoozing is positively reinforced. And while like we, but everything that we do every single day, uh, we may not even think of it, but the reason we press our foot to the brake when we see a red light is because that behavior is reinforced um, almost always by not getting into an accident mm-hmm. and so on. And I think that using those principles to help change what we do is really important. And it's not only utilized, uh, you know, of course, for autism. ABA is not just a therapy for autism. It's in everything. Um, You know, it's why slot machines can be so addictive because you don't know when you're going to hit the jackpot, right? So you're going to keep pulling the lever. And because at one point, at some point, that behavior is going to be reinforced. Um, it's in sports, yep. it's in animal training, it's everywhere. <laughs> and uh-huh. I think that it's really amazing that we, we see that um, and that we teach others to see that as well because when you're fluent in seeing behavioral change everywhere, um, then you're going to start to be able to see it on a broader level more easily. And, um, you know, a story, so I had shared with you sort of when I realized that I wanted to be in this field, but I, I think that the actual heart of what brought me here was that I have a, a cousin with severe to profound disability, so mental retardation when that was a diagnosis, which it no longer is. Mm-hmm. And um, he's my, my dad's from Pakistan, my mom's from the Philippines, and um, you know things have changed certainly, particularly in um, cities, you know, in both countries. But there are many places that don't have aren't as fortunate as we are uh, to understand evidence-based practices. And as you know, you know, Anderson Center for Autism spans so much in New York. There are many places in our country that, um, you know, still we are, evidence-based practices is on the rise. You know, we still don't necessarily have um, a 
the strongest handle on it as an entire world. And mm-hmm. so um, when my family came here to get my cousin help, they, you know, English wasn't their first language. And if you have an authority figure sort of telling you to do certain things, research also suggests, you know, like the, the research done after with the Nuremberg trials, you know, after World War II, that when you have an authority figure who's sort of saying, keep going or do this, it's harder to say no. And I think that all of this played into my family's decision. I was just a kid. I was probably not even 10. Um, and they had my cousin, they entered him into an experiment at a really reputable, well-known hospital here in the United States. And what they did was they, you know, in they severed my cousin's corpus callosum. Oh, yeah. Uh, and okay. Yeah, which we know is something that had happened a lot for seizures. Um, mm-hmm. And so while his seizures abated, he lost all of the skills that he had had, you know, up until that age mm-hmm. and regressed significantly and, and never was able, is, is not able to, you know, independently live. And I think about that a lot because, you know, to your question, um, why is it so important that we are creating this program? I think, yes, it's really important because in New York, for example, um, the highest concentration of behavior analysts are actually Nassau, Suffolk, New York City, and Schenectady, but Mm -hmm. all other counties have very few, if any, behavior analysts. And so while I think it's really important that we have those who are versed in the science, to your earlier point of being flexible and adapting, I think it's equally, you know, if not more important to have behavior analysts who are not only versed in the principles, but who can engage in everything with compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Understand that there are those who may not want to ask questions who might be afraid for whom we are the authority figures. And um, we have to put the human back in human service profession, which is what we do, which is who we are. And we really need to think about what is culturally humble? You know, what's the priority for your family? Um, what's sustainable? So if I ask to do a program, but it means you have to go out and buy materials, is that really sustainable? Is that straining the budget? Um, we really, we have to think about those things, and we've got to teach our behavior analysts who are up and coming to think about those things. And I think that that change starts with us, because even with programs, you know, um, textbooks are really expensive. Course, a credit hours are really expensive. Um, and oftentimes, I think our students are made are asked to read articles and, and talk about them, which I think is incredibly important. But, you know, right now we're doing things like podcasts where people can learn so much, webinars, YouTube videos, and those are free. So how can we meaningfully put compassion into everything that we do in building programs and building partnerships and relationships? And then how do we pass that on to our behavior analysts? And um, well, so forgive I'm me gonna, if I gave you such a, like, a, you gave answer, me a ton. Really I'm going to stop you there just for a minute because we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, it's a great segue into highlighting the work that you're going to be doing at City Empire State College when it comes to the Center for Autism Inclusivity because it touches on all of those points, I think, um, uh, and probably a little bit more. So I want to make sure we have time for that. But that is a wonderful background, and I uh, couldn't agree with you more. This is 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. We'll be right back. Hey, Hudson Valley. Got plans on October 7th from 7 to 8 p.m.? Now you do, and you don't even have to leave home. 
Anderson Center for Autism is hosting a virtual Year of the DSP event to honor direct support professionals. Join us for a celebration of the people who kept us inspired during these challenging times and help us honor this year's above and beyond award winner who's been selected by our very own Anderson families. Proceeds benefit Anderson's Emergency Response Fund. Learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org slash DSP. Welcome back to 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I've been talking this morning with Dr. Norris Syed, who is the assistant, uh, an assistant professor of applied behavior analysis, the clinical coordinator, and founding director for the Center for Autism Inclusivity, all at SUNY Empire State College. Um, Nor you, you've given a, a tremendous background about yourself um, and about ABA. You're one of, um, you know, I, I think it's it's really great to hear somebody talk so uh, so. Um, eloquently and intelligently about applied behavior analysis, incorporating the need to have compassion and the ability to be flexible. Um, for years and years, I know ABA um, kind of had a, a misrepresentation, I think, of being extraordinarily so structured that there wasn't room for flexibility or compassion or, um, you know, kind of adapting it to the learner, but clearly there is. Um, so I appreciate you pointing that out. I want to shift gears a little bit and just ask you to talk about specifically what um, the Center for Autism Inclusivity at the Empire State College is all about, what you're going to be doing there. And um, I think I said earlier that this is in collaboration with Anderson Center for Autism, um, so you can touch on those pieces too. But let's hear about the center and when it's available and, and what people can expect. Absolutely. Um, so I appreciate again always those really those kind words. It's such a pleasure to be here today and to chat with you. Um, right now, the center is it's just beginning. So there's so much that we can do, and to do with Anderson Center for Autism, I think is incredible because it allows for so much scope of research, um, of working together to build a practicum site, and all these great things. So I'll try to briefly run through some of the broad goals, missions, and the vision that we have for the center. Um, But, you know, I think first and foremost is that we know that we, um, we are not the experts in what the autistic community and New York State needs. Um, the experts in that are those who identify as having autism and those who are part of New York State. And what we're really seeking to do is to get that input from the community, from stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So I just want to kind of caveat and say that I'll, I'll interchangeably use person-first language as well as use the term autistic community because I know that there is a, a strong movement of self-advocates who identify as saying, I'm not a person with autism, I'm autistic, and I want to be really respectful of that, as well as for those who say, um, you know, I'm a person with autism. And I think to that end, one aspect of what we hope to do in collaboration with Anderson Center for Autism is to create a really supportive community for people who are neurodiverse, so people who identify as having autism or another um, disability here at SUNY Empire State College. So, you know, I've personally had the experience in working and being part of different institutions where I've heard really high administrators say um, that we're not going to adapt to fit someone else's needs because that's just not what we do as a university or as a college. And that breaks my heart because, as we Mm -hmm. talked about before, if someone isn't learning the way we teach, we simply just need to adapt. And that might be more work for us as educators, as professionals, or, you know, as teachers, but... 
that doesn't matter. <laughs> that's what we do. You know, that's that's who we are. And, and the more that we can help others learn differently, too, the more that we can be flexible. And it gets easier every time around. So um, we are uh, really trying to understand ways in which we can create, you know, everything from the, the way professors teach and the way professors communicate to um, how can our website be more accessible? Are things laid out very clearly step by step um, for everybody for whom this could benefit? And, you know, really clear, explicit directions, I think, are, are key. So we're looking at Empire State College as a whole. And I think that the best way to do this is to involve, as I mentioned, those who are stakeholders. So I know that ABA can be controversial, and I want to just kind of, you know, mind use this platform to say, I know that, I hear you, and I would be so grateful for the time of anybody listening who identifies as having autism or who's a loved loved one with autism to contact us and, and talk to us to tell us, like, how can we do better? as a field. You know, I don't purport to be the expert. You are, and I want to make the the school accessible for you. I want to change ABA so that it's not harmful, it's not controversial, and create this group of behavior analysts that are compassionate. Um, So I ask you so much for that advice and for that feedback. And that's part of what we want to do. Um, Another piece with our partnership with you at Anderson Center is to, you know, really um, not only teach, and I hope a lot of Anderson Center for Autism employees will come to Empire because I would love that, Um, but so to teach the pedagogy or the coursework is fantastic and I feel excited about it and we hope to do it in a way that's really accessible to those who are working full-time. And again, that's really cost-effective and very meaningful in terms of um, bringing people from all over, all walks of life um, to the field, which is sorely needed, but also to create uh, practicum. So how can we build a sustainable hierarchical practicum? Um, And by that, I mean that skills build upon one another so that by the end of acquiring supervision hours, which is required by New York State and by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, that there are those who um, feel empowered and confident to take on problems more independently and to supervise others, because we know that supervision is a lot of responsibility on the supervisor's shoulders, and it doesn't actually necessarily set up a trainee to be successful once supervision is over. So I think that we need to reframe that so that it's less responsibility for the supervisors, and as the supervisees go on, they're training others, they're mentoring others, so that's sustainable in terms of time and in terms of passing on these great principles. And then, you know, um, while there's so much we could talk about here, we want to make professional development and resources extremely low-cost or actually even free um, and in different languages to not only the New York community, which I think is wholly and widely important, but um, the world, you know, I'm thinking really big, and to everybody who needs assistance and understanding, because we talked about earlier how there are places that just don't have access to this this instruction and this material. And then, um, you know, really important to me and to, I know, Anderson Center for Autism as well is to assess if what we're doing is working through empirical investigations or through experiments. Um, really compassionate experiments that, um, you know, respect every single person who's involved in it and is driven by the stakeholders. Um, And that answers the question is, is what I want to put in place and what you want to put in place, I'm glad that I think it's helpful, but is it really? Do we have the Mm -hmm. data to support whether or not it's it's going to be useful? And if not, then 
we need to shift gears and change it so that it is. So I know that we're looking at down the road, you know, three, five, ten years. Um, but we really, we, what we really hope is to create this fully rounded, um, you know, center that's eventually my goal is that it's training for the workforce. So it's not only the transition to college, but it's after college. How can we help you? Um, how can we help support um, the neurodiverse population in getting and maintaining jobs? And how can we do policy change, right? Because at a broader level, there needs to be more protections for people with autism um, and the workforce. And we really need to be mindful of that. So how do we create Empire State College to be as supportive as we can? How do we, you know, add to those who are professionals in behavior analysis, who are compassionate and humble and sustainable systems? Um, and then how do we figure out all of this through the lens of sustainability? Because my dearest hope is that the Center for Autism Inclusivity continues even when the initial players are no longer a part of it because it's bigger kind of than just me or, you know, SUNY, it's bigger than ACA. It's you know, how can we create something that's going to meaningfully give it back to the community, not just now, but over time? So you're just looking to do a lot. <laughs> I'll summarize that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, to, to define something like the Center for Autism Inclusivity, I think you obviously have to approach it the way you just described. And um, I think it's going to be amazing. I, I, You know, we at Anderson are certainly thrilled to be a part of it and to be um, collaborating with SUNY Empire State College and on all those, um, all those areas in terms of making educational opportunities more accessible for everyone, um, and SUNY is so well poised to do that by nature of being so savvy and and um, sort of up to date with the online technology, um, as well as uh, affordability and, and all that comes with that. And then um, just to focus on um, the the whole roundedness of looking at uh, people who are neurodiverse or people on the autism spectrum in whatever uh, role they may be playing as an individual student. Um, uh, or as a professional looking to get into the field of working with individuals with autism, it's just a it's a great um, it's a great step forward. So we have to wrap up, um, but I do think that it would be great to have you back on once the center is up and running, and uh, we can get some updates about how things are going. So I'd love to just in- invite you back on, and thank you so much for your time and for everything you shared this morning, Dr. Noor Syed from SUNY Empire State College. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll talk about that, those low-hanging fruit, you know, to your point. It's a huge, huge goal. And how are we approaching it step by step? We're starting to put those pieces in place to figure out what we need to make this a really you know, supportive community. And I'm super excited to share with you as we continue to progress. Thank All you right. for having well, me. Thank you so much. This is 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.